one of the many blessings available to God's chosen, God's elect, God's children, however you want to put it, uh, is a very special kind of joy. And we all know what joy is. And from time to time, we all experience joy, and we like it, and we understand it to a degree. But we see reasons here in the book of 1 Peter as we study it that Christians are able to or should be able to greatly rejoice. And there's a, a difference between experiencing joy and having a lifetime or a, a life's experience of greatly rejoicing. The Bible says there in 1 Peter uh, 1 verse 6, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Strong's defines this phrase here, greatly rejoicing, as literally jumping for joy. Not just having that heart of, of, of being so happy that you're... Literally, Strong says uh, that Christians should, should jump for joy. Appreciate that. In uh, verse 8 of 1 Peter 1, and by the way, if you would prefer to read out of a Bible, we're going to be spending a lot of time in the, in the first chapter of 1 Peter this evening, so you can turn there and keep your finger there, and, and you'll be on topic most of the time. But uh, in verse 8, Peter writes, Whom having not seen ye love, and whom though ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice, he says, with unspeakable, with joy unspeakable, and full of glory. And I, that phrase caught me. And I thought, un, unspeakable, unspeakable joy. What, what is that? Have you experienced joy before? I'm sure you have. Were you able to describe it? I'm sure you were to some, to some extent. Peter writes of a joy he says is unspeakable. Uh, and that's our topic for this evening. Unspeakable joy, full of glory. And we'll focus the majority of our study this evening on verses 6 through 9 of 1 Peter, but also some other verses there in 1 Peter. But we'll, we'll focus a lot on the remarks that Peter makes in verses 6 through 9, and I want to just take a moment and just read those verses. We've already read, read a couple of them, but I want to read them in context. Peter writes here, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. He goes on to say that the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ. Whom, have, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, ye believe. Ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now, concerning this unspeakable joy, that's a bit of a confusing statement. And as I, I looked in the New King James Version, it describes it, the New King James puts it this way, inexpressible. And I like that. Because we can speak words, but they may not have the meaning we intend. They may not convey the image that we want to convey. 
But if we use the words inexpressible, then we begin to understand our limitations as people as to how to explain what, we, what we're feeling, what we're seeing. Uh, a synonym is indescribable. You just don't have the words to describe it. Now, have you ever thought about the joy that we're talking about here in 1 Peter being inexpressible, undescribable? Words that just fail you. It reminds me of another scripture, and I don't have this one up on the board, but you'll know it very well. It's probably, it's one of my, if not my favorite scripture in the New Testament, Romans 8, chapter 20, uh, verse 26. The Bible says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself make us intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. We all recognize that verse. And if you're like me, over the past few years, several years, you've come to a far better understanding of your inability to, uh, to utter those words. You just don't have words sometimes to, to utter about your feelings for the need of God, of your inferiority to God. But the Spirit does. And the Spirit can utter those groanings that we can't utter. And this is a similar phrase this evening, unspeakable joy. It's, it's similar in nature. For instance, how hard is it to describe heaven? I've tried. I know a lot of other people have tried. And I know if you ask me, and I suspect if you ask them when you get through trying, uh, even though many of those people are far more eloquent than I am, you feel like you've failed. You can't, you can't, you don't have the words to describe it. And that's, a, that, I think that's because heaven can't be described. It has to be experienced. It can't be described. We don't have the words for it. Uh, I'm not sure that seeing heaven will even make much of a difference. Experiencing heaven is what will make the difference. Uh, all the beautiful words that we have that we pull out of the Bible, which may or may not describe heaven, street of gold, walls that are, are made of, of fine, precious stones, uh, they still fail to adequately describe what it'll be like. Uh, I just don't think sight has a lot to do with it. I think it'll be the things that we experience uh, there. Sight may be a part of it, but... But I think the, the feelings that we will experience from being there is what it's all about. Uh, nothing to dread. You ever thought about waking up one day and there's absolutely nothing to dread? No, no pain, uh, no job, no dealing with anything that's uncomfortable or, or anything that's unpopular. Absolutely nothing to dread. Uh, nothing to worry about from a physical standpoint. Not having to worry about health. Not, not having to worry about money. Uh, maybe when we experience heaven, maybe, you know, one of the things that, that have always failed me is to describe forever. Maybe when we experience heaven, we know what forever means. Maybe we fully understand then what it means. Uh, Right now, it's unspeakable. Right now, it's inexpressible. It's undescribable. But one day, it won't be. 
You know, going back to, to verse 6 of 1 Peter 1, in chapter 1, it begins there with the word wherein. Now, what, what's that talking about? Peter begins when he says wherein. What he's talking about is those things that he has previously, uh, before chapter 6, in other words, before, chap, before verse 6, excuse me, those things which serve as reasons for unspeakable joy, inexpressible joy. There are some things he mentions in earlier verses that uh, refers to. This is what the wherein is pointing back to. So one of those things is past reasons. There are past reasons. Each one of us that here today who is a Christian, there are past reasons that we can have inexpressible joy. We've been chosen. God chose us. When we were obedient to him, when we became faithful to him, he chose us. He elected us. He set us apart from everyone else. And the Bible says there in, in verse 2 of 1 Peter 1, elect, set apart, chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit. The Spirit sanctified us. The Spirit set us apart. The Spirit worked through us. If you're a crit Christian, you've been chosen by God for this work. You've been chosen by God to receive promises that he has made. No one else has been chosen to receive those. Those who are not his elect, those who are not chosen by him, those who have not been faithful and obedient to him cannot expect these promises. But if you're one of the elect, you can expect those promises. That's hard to describe. The feeling of knowing that you have access to those promises is hard to describe. Also, in uh, verse 2 there, it continues on and he says, Unto the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So Peter says that the elect, the chosen, have been sprinkled by the blood of Christ. Now, that's a little bit of a, a conflicting term because we know that we're not sprinkled. We're baptized today, right? But the writing of Peter as here as he was writing refers back to a, to a time that those people would have understood very well. And that was the time of the law of Moses. And in the time of the law of Moses, when you did something that you needed to make atonement for, you brought a sacrifice and you came to the priest. And the priest would kill that sacrifice. And many times, in many situations, he would take the blood of that sacrifice and he would sprinkle it on you. Maybe even your family might be there and he'd sprinkle it on them too. That was part of the atonement. This writing here in 1 Peter is Peter's referring back to a time that they understood. He said that you, and those that have been obedient and sprinkled by the blood of Christ. He wasn't. He wasn't downplaying the necessity of baptism. He was just describing it in a way that those people would have understood at that time. We understood that now today that we, we are saved through, through faith and obedience through baptism. Verse 3 of 1 Peter 1, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Another past reason for rejoicing. The Bible says we've been begotten. We've been born again. Not only have we been born again, but because we're born again, we have a living hope, a hope that's alive, a hope that's living within each and every one of us, within each, each and every child of God. So the elect that Peter was writing to here, and by extension those of us today who have been obedient to the Lord in baptism, have a lot of past reasons for rejoicing. Just a lot of reasons. But Peter goes on and he indicates also that there are present reasons for rejoicing. And interesting enough, if you think about it, Back again in, in verse 2, the same verse we just read about being past reasons. Think about the present reasons. Those people, and many of us today, have been baptized. We have become ch children of God. We are of the elect. That happened in the past. Some, for some of us, a long, long time ago. You know what? We're still in that state today. We're in that very same state. We're still in the state of being one of the elect. We're still in the state of being one of God's chosen. It has not changed. It will not change unless we choose to move away from the grace of God. From God's point of view, we are children of God. We were in the past. We are today. You see, there are present reasons for rejoicing. That hasn't changed. Verse 5, the Bible says, Who are kept? By the power of God. You ever think about that? God keeps us. If we are obedient and faithful, he keeps us. We don't have to worry about being kept. We don't have to worry about some un unseen, unknown force pushing us away from God. It cannot happen. As long as we are obedient and faithful to God, he keeps us. We remain in his grace. A present reason rejoicing and also Peter says that there are future reasons for rejoicing as well 1 Peter 1 through 4 he puts it this way to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you we have an inheritance reserved for us you know we want people to come to Christ. We want people to be baptized for the remission of sins. We want that to happen. And we are so overjoyed when that happens. But you know what? You had not received the inheritance. That's been talked about a lot, about how the inheritance is received. Just because you've become a child of God, you haven't received the inheritance. The inheritance is coming later. It's coming at the day of judgment. Look what the scripture says there. Reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved for you. It's waiting for you. It'll be there when you get there. But you haven't received it yet. What a, what a beautiful reason to be rejoicing. What a beautiful reason to have rejoicing that's so strong that you don't have the words to describe it. <clears throat> notice again 1 Peter 1 and 5 
who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We think sometimes, and, and certainly it's a necessary step, but we think about salvation being now. When we are baptized, we receive salvation. Actually, when we are baptized, we receive the promise of salvation. True salvation, again, is going to come in that day of judgment. God's prepared it. It's ready. It's ready for you to receive it. It's awaiting a time of God's choosing to be revealed to you. You know, there's an old phrase that I, I, I'd kind of forgotten about, but, but I always did like it. You ain't seen nothing yet. And that's the case in this case. You ain't seen nothing yet. Wait until salvation is revealed. And then you'll know what you're looking at. <clears throat> we understand that we have to take the steps necessary today. But what we really receive is going to be so much more than what we can see uh, in this day and time. First Peter 1 and 9, Peter puts it this way. He says, receiving the end of your faith even the salvation of your souls. And I like that. The end of your faith. You ever thought about your faith ending? We don't think about our faith ending. But when we receive the salvation of your souls, you don't need faith anymore. You've got something far beyond faith. You've got something far beyond sight. You're experiencing the salvation of your soul. You're experiencing that end result. Peter also goes on to describe the exceeding greatness of this joy, this unspeakable, inexpressible joy. Uh, he, he talks about it. He speaks about it. Because it does some things for us in this life that we wouldn't have the ability to do. And we talked about a lot of this just recently, but just to hit a few points again, you know, it enables us to rejoice during trials. No matter what degree of suffering you may experience, experience the joy that comes through Christ outpaces it. It's stronger than those trials. Peter explains it this way in verse 6. Wherein you greatly rejoice, he says, though now for a season, if need be, you are in the heaviness through manifold temptations. So Peter says that there may be a need for you to experience heaviness. We don't know when that is. We don't know why that is. That's, that's the understanding of God. He understands what that is. But there may be a need for us to experience heaviness. Perhaps it does something for us. Perhaps it makes us stronger. I've said many times that uh, if this life on this earth was perfect, why would we look for something better? We wouldn't. And God wants us to look for something better. He wants us to search diligently for something better. So this life has its trials. It has its imperfections. It has its suffering so that we will look for something better. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 writes it this way. Peter says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. 
why don't we think it's strange if some difficulty comes our way? It's not strange. It's normal. In this life, it's normal. It's just the way things are. But we get down, and how many of us say, well, I don't understand why this is happening to me. I don't understand either, but it's not strange. It's the normal case of life. It's the normal turn of events. Notice in this scripture that we should rejoice because Christ suffered on our behalf. And it's his glory that's going to be revealed. And when it is, we're going to understand unspeakable joy. Acts chapter 5 and verse 40. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You see, the apostles exemplified this attitude. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. They rejoiced in that fact. They didn't think it was strange. They expected it to happen. And they understood it was part of life. Yeah, but they walked and they talked with Jesus. They, they had an advantage. How can a Christian today find joy in, in trials and hardships? 1 Peter 1 and 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious, much more precious, the trial of your faith, the importance of the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold which perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found in praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Informed Christians understand that there's a necessity of purifying your faith. That's, it's necessary that faith be tried, that pray, faith be tested. Maybe you have a health problem. And maybe you're in a lot of pain. Maybe surgery is an option. But with this surgery, there may come more pain for a short time. Maybe a hard recovery. Pain may even be worse for a little while. Why would you do that? Why would you go through that? Because of the promise of a better time. Promise of things being better. A promise of that pain going away. And you don't have to suffer anymore. And then all of a sudden you can rejoice in that prospect. You can rejoice in the skill and the competency of the surgeons and the medical staff that can perform that surgery on you. You can rejoice even though you're in pain. And you know the pain may get worse. But still after that, there's going to be a reward. That's what we're dealing with in life today. We have to go some, through some trying times. But we've had promises made to us. And if we're faithful enough, we realize that those promises are going to come to pass. James 1, verses 2 through 4. I may have this backwards. Now, I, first of all, I wanted to talk a little bit about the end of this 1 Peter 1 and 7 uh, 
there in the end of, the, of verse 7. He says, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That be the time that we, we understand what we've been doing all of this for. All, all, everything that we've had to suffer, this is when we'll know. At the appearing of, of Jesus Christ. Then, then we know why we went through everything. Now let's go to James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4. James writes, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That's a pretty good understanding to have, to know that trials of faith produces patience. I don't know anybody that doesn't need more patience. I know I do. And if you're joyful in those trials and you understand that those trials are going to produce that patience, look what it says there in the end of it. Make you perfect, entire, make you complete, wanting nothing. You don't, you don't want anything. You're not lacking for anything. But what kind of trials is this all talking about? What kind of trials must we endure? If you go back to... Uh, Verse 6 of 1 Peter 1, uh, there in the end of verse 6, the word manifold is used. And what manifold means is various. So there's various trials, all kinds of trials, all kinds of temptations. Primarily, we could say it includes those which are a result of, of living a Christian life and following Christ. There are trials that are going to come from that. There are words that will be said about you from that. There are things you're going to deal with be because of that. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, the Bible says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, he says, and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. There'll be a lot of temptations, a lot of trials. As we see that we're, we are to rejoice because of them. But not only these, just everyday trials and afflictions. You think about the everyday problems we deal with. Physical, monetary, health, whatever you, whatever you want to talk about. Everyone deals with things from time to time. Those things give an opportunity. An opportunity to test faith, to test hope, to test love, to test long-suffering, to test patience. Just a wealth of opportunity to use those things to, to try ourselves and to increase ourselves. And build ourselves up. And when we're able to rejoice even in the midst of those things. And I've seen people that do. I've seen people that can. I've seen people that have. When you're able to do that. Then you're truly experiencing inexpressible joy full of glory. But how can a Christian be sure to possess this inexpressible 
joy, this unspeakable joy. How can we be sure to do that? You've got to admit that not everybody does. Probably all of us have to admit that from time to time we don't. I, I have to admit that from time to time I don't possess that as I should. But in verse 8, I believe Peter alludes to two things that will help us, that can keep us on the right track to possessing that indescribable joy. First of all, he says that you must love love the Lord. First uh, Peter 1 verse 8, Peter speaking here of Jesus, says, Whom having not seen, you love. We got to love Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate source for being able to to supply rejoicing in all things. Uh, Paul puts it this way in in uh, Philippians chapter four and verse four. He says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." And again, I say, "Rejoice." Paul says, "Do it all the time, no matter what the situation." I think that's a pretty good idea. If we love love the Lord that we can rejoice at all times. We may have to force ourselves to do it, but we can do it. In John chapter 14 verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto them, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come in unto him and make our abode with him. Jesus makes us a promise. He says, If we love him, he will love us. And the Father will love us. And they'll abide with us. And they'll care for us. But can you really love someone that you've never seen? Can you really do that? Peter says again, Whom having seen ye love, in whom though ye have seen him, see him not, yet believing. The answer is yes. Peter was writing here of people that did exactly that. You see, these people that Peter was writing to are in the same boat we are today. They had never seen Jesus. Many people had seen Jesus, but the people that he was writing to at this time had not seen Jesus. They were in that same boat, and Peter said, you haven't seen him, but you love him anyway. Peter says, in spite of the fact that they haven't seen him, they love him. It caused them to have joy. That's what Peter said. Because of that fact, because you love him but you haven't seen him, you have this joy. So how can we come to love someone that we haven't seen? <clears throat> First of all, we have to have a complete study of the Bible. And I, ha I appreciated the sermon this morning because... I haven't studied the book of Hosea like I, like I should have. There's a lot of good things in there. But when we think about studying the, the Bible, we have the Old Testament with the prophecies of Jesus. We have the Gospels as they describe Jesus' life, his teaching, his compassion, suffering, death, and resurrection. We have the book of Acts and its portrayal of the Lord working with the church working with the apostles. <clears throat> we have the epistles where we learn the blessings that are found in Christ and his ministry. He is our high priest and he is interceding on our behalf. We find in the book of Revelations where we learn of the victory won by the Lamb, Jesus, and his followers. That's just a 
few-second synopsis of the Bible. You can find something in there that you need, something in there that you need to study. But Peter also said that we have to believe in Jesus. How do we do that? He said, In whom, though ye now see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. You know, faith like that is more than an accident. It's more than a, an asset. It's more than, than an academic knowledge of the scriptures. It involves a, a very key element of faith, something we call trust. Something we should have is trust. Do you trust what you find in the Bible? Do you trust what Jesus promises you? Do you have that kind of trust? Do you trust his commands to be for your ultimate good? When he says that, do you believe it? Do you trust that he will fulfill the promises that he has made? When you read the promises that Jesus has made through the power of God, do you trust that? Do you believe that will actually come to pass? Do you have the kind of trust that causes you to obey Jesus wholeheartedly? And to be stubborn about that faith. Not be willing to give it up so easily. Do you have the kind of trust that comes from being fully engaged with the word of God. And studying the word of God. There's a the scripture that I keep reading uh, over and over. Especially here recently. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. <clears throat> In Hebrews chapter verse 1. The Bible says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And, and I guess I, I understand this scripture. I, I've understood it for some time. But there's much a deeper level to this scripture than what we just read on the surface. So the world faith being of any substance that would cause hope is ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Yes, that's, that's what the Bible says it is. The fact that evidence of something that you cannot see uh, causing you to have hope is just ridiculous to most people. We're sight-based people. We believe in what we see, right? Brother Britt, you ever been to London, England? Neither have I. Do you believe it exists? Why do you believe it exists? Because there's evidence that it exists. There's evidence. There's a lot of evidence. I don't know of anybody in here that doubts that London, England exists. Do you believe the promises of Jesus? Do you understand that there's a mountain of evidence that those promises will be fulfilled? There's evidence. Romans 10, verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The evidence in the Bible that we need faith, that we need to understand the promises that have been made. So as we wrap this up, uh, when we have this kind of faith, 
and Jesus. When we truly love him with our whole heart, one blessing that we receive is inexpressible joy. You may not even realize it. But if you're a Christian, you do understand that there's something else. You haven't seen the best yet. It's coming. Now the blessing that can sustain us until we reach that day. That's what we have right now. 1 Peter 1 and 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. The re receiving the end of your faith. That day when you realize that your soul is saved. And that you're going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus and with God. That's, that's the goal that we have. And to know that you can realize that goal causes inexpressible joy. It's based on all kinds of blessings, past blessings, present blessings, future blessings. It enables us to joyfully persevere through all kinds of trials in this life. So I ask you this evening, do you love Jesus? If you do, do you keep his commandments? Have you kept his commandments? Are you willing to keep his commandments? John 14 and 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Do you believe in Jesus? If you do, are you willing to do what he says? Jesus asked in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why you don't? He says, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? So if you love him and you believe him, why, why don't you do the things that he said? Why won't you follow through? Are there commandments of Jesus that you have not obeyed today? If so, why, why don't you do that? Why don't you start from this day forward? Do you understand that this inexpressible joy that we've talked about this evening cannot be yours unless you're obedient to God? You can't have it. I'm sorry, but that's God's decision, not mine. And he says you can't have it unless you're willing to be obedient to him. It's not available to you unless you're one of God's cho chosen, unless you're one of his elect, unless you've been baptized and have your sins washed away. It's not available to you. Why don't you think about that? Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.